Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. We are glad you chose to be with us today, uh, and welcome to those of you who are uh, joining us online or on our podcast. We're glad that we have the opportunity to share life with you, and uh, just appreciate you being part of our faith community here digitally or from wherever you find yourself today. We're glad you can be part of this Bible study with us. Today, we're getting back into the book of Genesis. We took a hiatus in December and in January to talk um, some holiday things and to end to in January to talk about our vision today we're going to get back into the book of Genesis we'll be in chapter four just before I get there two things just to remind you of or maybe you're hearing for the first time one is about what's coming up next Sunday it is our first friend and family day of the 2024 calendar year it's something we do a few times a year where we uh, encourage you to just invite somebody to come to church with you a, a friend or family member someone who isn't part of a faith community or maybe used to be part of uh, some type of faith community. They were in a church or they had a, maybe a religious connection, but they're just not actively involved in a church family right now. We, we plan that morning especially for you to bring friends and family with you because on those days, rather than hearing a, a, a Bible study from me, we invite just people who are willing from our congregation to tell us their true story of how they came to faith in Jesus Christ, of what their life was like before salvation, how they, uh, how they heard about Jesus and the gospel and, and what it was like when they surrendered their life to Jesus, and then what's their life been like since. And so we'll have two special guest speakers, even though they're part of our church family here. Megan Jones is going to share with us next Sunday, and Zach Carhart is going to share with us next Sunday. Um, we're not letting you out of it. We've now announced it publicly. You got to go through with it. But, um, but no, we, we uh, prayerfully asked them both to consider, and they say, yeah, we'll share that. So Hey, put Zach and Megan on your prayer list this week because some of you have shared your story before and you know what those days leading up to it. It's part excitement to be able to share your faith and there's all these other things that go through your mind when you get ready to share uh, part of your life with a group of people, but this is a safe place for us to just be exactly who we are. You don't have to be somebody else to be here. Just be you. That's, that's the only requirement. You have to come to God as you are. You can't come to God as you aren't. Just come to God as you are. So come to church as you are. The cleaning and the, and the molding and shaping is up to God. So if you haven't done so already, invite somebody to be with you next week and you'll hear their, their stories. And I'll just give a simple invitation to come to faith in Jesus. We've had some radical salvations that we've experienced over the last three weeks here. I can't go into all the stories before uh, this morning, but there's something really special going on in the different ministries here where people are coming to Christ and really experiencing them and having in, inarguable life change, just like you and I have had when we came to Jesus. So that's next Sunday, both services, 9 and 11 be exactly the same. Um, one other thing, if you uh, weren't here last week or if you didn't see your email this week, we're giving you opportunity to, to branch out along with Echo. That's our vision phrase. We're branching out. We want to stretch, just like the Bible talks about healthy trees stretching their branches out wide to welcome people outside of the ecosystem to come and make their home in God's kingdom. This is what we're really putting emphasis on this year. And so we've identified four different groups of people in our community 
um, that we're going to be reaching out, branching out towards this year. And we're just talking about one, the one that we're working on right now, right away, is we really feel like God's calling us to be a church that is more welcoming to and supportive of students with special needs and families of those students with special needs. Here's a couple ways that you can get involved if you would like to. Just asking you to consider this. Um, maybe you'd be willing to learn uh, more about being a buddy for an e-kid student, one of our elementary school students whose family would love to bring them to a church and be part of our faith community, but those kids have special needs, and so parents can't leave them at home, and if they bring them to church with them and the church isn't ready to receive them and their kid men, um, that's difficult for the parents to give care to their kids and still get something out of the, ser- the service. So there's a lot of parents in our community who would be willing or would like to be part of a church family. And one of the ways we're getting after that is just inviting people to consider learning what it's like to be a buddy. That just means we pair you up one-on-one with a student on a week where you're willing to serve, a student who might have the parents have told us they have a special need, a physical need, a behavioral need, or learning need, that we can just give them one-on-one attention so they can participate, but they have a buddy with them. They have a grown-up that's with them that is just focusing on them as they're trying to focus on everything that's going on this morning. And we'll train you, we'll onboard you, we'll do all the background check with you. But if you're interested in that, that's a box that you can check. Second thing is we are going to be doing at least twice a year. I'd love to do it four times a year, but we're going to do it once before we do it four times. That's kind of how it works. But we are going to be providing Friday night respite care events. What that simply means is we're going to be giving parents and guardians a break from caring for their special needs students for a few hours on a Friday night so they can take care of themselves too. And so we'll be opening up our facility for families to register their special needs kids and their siblings in advance so we know who's coming and what needs are there. And then we will turn this whole building over into a place that's welcoming for those students to just spend that evening with them with different activities throughout the building that they can go around and we'll have buddies and volunteers here and different leaders of those different activities so that we can just have a great time with those children on that evening. A mom or dad or mom and dad or whoever's caring for those kids can just have some time to, to rest, to go out to eat, to just do what they need to do without the burden of giving that extra care to their kids for those few hours while they're well taken care of. The third thing we're asking you to consider is we would love to be able to provide kid ministry to all of our early childhood kids also at the 9 a.m. service. Right now, we're able to staff our 11 a.m. kids ministries, um, but as our church has grown and the needs have increased, um, we would love to be able to provide that for for kids at at 9 o'clock as well. And so Uh, We want to start with early childhood, so we'll have the nursery and then our toddlers groups. But if that's something you might consider serving in on a rotation with a team um, once a month, that would be wonderful. So those are areas that you can just say, I'm interested in. Of all the initiatives we've had in 12 years, I've never had such a huge, quick, serious response as I have to branch out. It's been unbelievable. Like, like, uh, even after the last, even after the 9 a.m. this service, we're now up to almost 30 adults who in seven days have said, yeah, count me in, I'm in in one or more of those areas. And I will tell you of anything we've ever asked for help in, it, what it just shows me is that we're not barking up the wrong tree. That when I heard this vision from God, I was like, well, Lord, it's gonna take a lot of people to do this. And if I can't cast the vision effectively, if it doesn't grab people's hearts, then maybe I've missed it. And what you've shown us is, no, pastor, this is on our heart too. We wanna branch out, we wanna be part of this. We haven't done any of these things before and let's, let's, let's do it for the Lord. We can't afford not to do it, so let's do this. So if you, would, if you have yet to respond, you might have gotten an email that gives you a response. You can scan the QR code that's on the screen right now, and that'll let you just fill out that card. We also have actual physical 
little cards that are exactly like the one on your screen that you can grab on your way out and fill in and drop in the offering plate. I'll bring it up one more time next Sunday. We're building those contact lists right now so I can just start communicating uh, to those different groups of people. We've even had some folks who said, I'm qualified and trained and I don't want to overstep my bounds, but it is okay if I take leadership and I'm like, absolutely, yes, please. Yes, that would be that would be wonderful. So thank you for this response. It's super exciting. I can't wait to see what God's going to do um, as we branch out because I know he's put it in my heart. You're saying, oh, it's in our heart too. And so we know we're on the right track. Let's do this together. So there's the different options we have. All right, transitioning out of that into murder. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Any of you heard of those two people before, Cain and Abel? How many of you are at least familiar with the story? Nearly all of you. That's what I was afraid of. So, yeah, I get to go into a story that's familiar to all of us today and try and read it somehow with fresh eyes of all the different Bible stories. This is probably in the top three or four that even people without a deep Bible knowledge or who might not be active in a faith community, they're familiar with the basics of the story. They're probably familiar with the basics of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and Jesus' crucifixion. And so, consequently, it's one of the most dissected stories in all of the Bible. And it falls near the very beginning of the book. We're four chapters into this huge book, this huge book that has 66 other books inside of it. It's written by over 40 authors, over 30, you know, whatever it is, over 1,500 years, tells 3,500 years of history. But it tells one unified story. It tells about where we came from, what went wrong, and what God's done about it. That's basically what the whole Bible says. And where we came from and how it all began is like this much of the story. And I don't know if you figured this out. Anytime you started reading the Bible from the front to the back, it went bad pretty quickly, didn't it? You had the first man, the first woman, the first marriage, and that went bad. All the blame shifting there. They got kicked out of the garden, right? And I don't know what happened. It's kind of silent on everything that happened, but I'm pretty sure there were some icy days between Adam and Eve. The woman you gave to me made me do it. But they eventually get back on their trajectory, and we get to Genesis 4. We have the first children. You have Cain, and we have Abel. And pretty soon after that, in the story, we have what? The first murder. It did not take long for murder to be manifest in the world that we live in. And so my challenge is going to a story that's familiar to a lot of us and try and see it with fresh eyes. There's a lot of problems that we have in reading this story. It raises a lot of questions, and it doesn't answer all of the questions that it raises. But one of the questions that this story brings an answer to is a question that, if you're honest, maybe you've wrestled with this before. And the question is this, what in the world is wrong with the world? Now, some of you in this room, because of your occupation, you get a front hand, a first row seat to some of the monstrosities that happen in the world. And over the last few years, we've seen this constant refrain of Awful stuff that was done in the secret being brought to light. Whether it's the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and the Jeffrey Epsteins, and now this last week you have accusations against Vince McMahon, whether it is <coughs> whether it is atrocities that are happening in foreign countries where there's genocide and where there's uh, uh, religiously motivated exterminations of people, where there is 
where there is rape and sexual abuse, where there is every type of torture, and you look at the stuff, and haven't you ever, or maybe it's not even that, maybe you're off, maybe you don't watch the news, but you watch Investigation Discovery. And you get sucked into one of these whodunit murder mystery type things. Haven't you ever heard a report about some awful thing that happened at least between two human beings and said, what would, what would make a person capable of doing something like that to another human being? They're a monster. They're monstrous. What parent would do that to their child? What child would do that to their sibling? What man would do that to a woman? What kid would do that to another kid? What person would do that to an animal? Don't you ever get in the place and you hear something so horrific, you're like, what makes a human being capable of that? What is so wrong? Have you ever been there? What is wrong with the world? Well, the, you, you talk to enough people about it, here's the answer you'll usually pin them down to. What's really wrong with our world is with a few not with most. It's a few monsters who are really, really, really bad and awful because they do things like kill and rape and torture and abuse and maim. And it's those few people. The most of us, we're not like that at all. We're not even capable of that. That's not what the Bible actually teaches, though. The Bible says, and if you ask a lot of Christians, and I'll ask a lot of Christians, what do you think the main problem in the world is? And most of us would give a one-word answer. What's that answer? Sin. Would you at least agree with that? I'm not trying to trick you. Yes, the Bible says it's a sin problem at its root. It's a sin problem. But I'm going to give you a more advanced word that jumps out of this story. It's not just that sin is the basic problem. It is underestimation. That's the basic problem. We underestimate the power of the subtle, hidden sins that are crouching in the corner of our hearts that we don't think is all that big of a deal, and we underestimate it. We underestimate how much God sees, how much God knows, and how holy he is. We underestimate his grace, and that's a problem. We underestimate his righteousness, and that's a problem. And we underestimate our own capability of turning into a monster. And this story lifts that out to us. I need to prepare you. The thrust of this sermon is going to make me and you feel, it's going to take us down for the first part of it, but I promise you it'll bring us back up at the end, okay? Unless we run out of time, that's just going to take you down, and you'll have to come back next week to feel better. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 4. It's going to show us not just what was wrong with Cain, but it's going to absolutely show us what's wrong with you and me and the whole world. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 16. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to her brother named Abel. I'll just give you a quick side note here. I forgot to say this in the early morning service, so they're going to be less advanced than you. Okay. Um, her acknowledgement that she got Cain, if you do the Hebrew study of what all those words mean, and I, I did the nerdy work on that so you don't have to. 
most scholars believe that Adam and Eve started off with the assumption that um, that Cain was actually the promised seed that God told them about in the garden, that I'll raise up a person who will crush the head of the serpent. They kind of started with, keep in mind, this is the first pregnancy ever, right? Like Adam one day is being like, Eve, have you gained a little weight? Which just don't ever, don't, just don't. I don't have time for this story one time. I learned that the really, really hard way was someone in a church my very first, I asked someone if they were pregnant who wasn't, and yeah, they left. So um, it was awful. I just will never forget that. Um, back to the story. I'm sorry. I was scarred by that this morning. I said that. Now I feel better. I'll give you a copay on the way out. Um, we, this is the first pregnancy ever. Everything we were given to believe is because he was first, they assumed he was going to be the one that God promised. And then later on, uh, and in fact, his name means that with God gave, you know, I have, I have received, God gave. Abel just means um, a breath or a vapor that is short-lived. So yeah, they kind of hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, foreshadowing. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Let's continue on. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Let me read it one more time with emphasis. There's like four key words here. Cain presented, what's the next word? Some. Abel also brought a gift, the best. One gave some. The other brought the best of the first. Okay, that's The main difference between their offerings isn't that one had blood and one was a crop. The main difference was the premeditated character of the person's heart when they were choosing the offering. One brought the first overs, the other brought the leftovers. Okay. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Two things the Lord accepted, Abel and his gift. Two things the Lord did not accept, Cain and his gift. Now, how did this make Cain feel? He was very angry and he looked dejected. Hebrew actually says his face fell down. He, was, he started to have a pity party because he was rejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? And Cain doesn't answer him at all. He's giving God the silent treatment here. So here's the warning from God in the form of a gracious bit of counsel. You'll be accepted, not if you bring a different offering, but if you do what is right. In other words, Cain, you're not living right. So I can't accept you or your offering. You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, here's one of the most famous passages in the Bible, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you. Original language, ready to pounce. But you must subdue it and be its master. So how does Cain respond to God's counsel? God sees Cain in this state and he says, oh, you're kind of volatile right now. You've just gotten some bad news. You've been rejected. It's a sore spot. You're feeling sorry for yourself. You're building a grudge. Your goody-two-shoes brother is really irritating you. You're mad that I made somebody that I accepted in a way you want to be accepted and you're not. You're mad about that. Be careful because this anger can turn volatile and control you pretty quick. You have to subdue it or it'll control you. So what does he do? 
He suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. Title of my sermon is Grace for a First Degree Murderer. Here we see the premeditation. This was not involuntary manslaughter. This is a scheming Cain who's trying to lure his brother away from where there were other people to a place where he could kill him and hide him without anybody else knowing. And he does it under the guise of wanting to just go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord has another conversation with Cain, and he begins with questions. Where's your brother? Does God know where his brother is? So there's another reason why he's asking him here. Where's your brother? Where's Abel? Now, here's Cain's very humble, repentant response. I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Do you, feel, do you hear the contempt to God in his heart? It's almost like, you know, you're trying to correct your child. And he said, did you say that to your brother? And he says, I don't remember. I didn't record it. I didn't write it down. This is what's tumbling out of his heart. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Now, that's a pretty severe punishment. Does he deserve it? Yeah. What did he really deserve? Death penalty, right? What does he get? A little bit less than that. Why? We'll yeah, well, someone said, yeah, grace. And we'll see. We'll unpack that some more. So here's Cain's reply to the Lord. And I want you to say, is this the heart of a repentant man? Okay, Because this is the part that my, new eye, that my fresh eyes saw this time. That I don't know why I never saw this before. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. He doesn't say, I murdered my brother, you're right, please forgive me. He starts complaining and feeling sorry for himself about the severity of the punishment. My punishment is too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land in your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Now, have you ever wondered, who's he afraid of? Who's the anyone? Isn't it just him and mom and dad? The answer is no. And I'll show you the Bible's answer later if we get to it. It's not necessarily um, consequential to the story, but it does spark curiosity. Where did all these other people come from? And you read a couple verses later, Cain gets married, and you're like, where did she come from? Bible answers it for us. I believe Bible answers for us pretty clearly a chapter later, but if we get to it, we get to it. Uh, now that I've made you interested, the Bible does have an answer for you in Genesis 5. tells you where they came from, um, I believe. So anyone who finds me will kill me, and, and here's God's response. The Lord replied, no. I'll give you, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So grace, le so grace, well, yeah. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then you read verse 17. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth, and he found that it's sitting, and you're like, where, where did all these other people come from? Um, we'll get to it if we get to it here. The, the, the problem that most of our world has and the problem with our world is not that there's just a few really bad canes in the world. 
and they're monsters, and they were born that way. We need to identify who they are and segregate them from everybody else, and the world would just be a better place. The real problem is a sin problem, and the real problem is like Cain, every single human being has sin crouching in the corners of our heart. And the problem is that we don't see it for what it is, and we underestimate it. Oh, it's just a little desire. It's just something in my heart. I haven't acted on it. It's better that it's just in my heart because it's not hurting anybody. We rename it. We make it like a little pet. It's not really my sin. It's my hang-up. It's my, it's my issue. But it's not like I'm a murderer or anything. You ever heard anybody say that? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't rape or kill or torture or murder or maim. You know, yeah, I, yeah sure, I might this, that, or the other. And now, oh, we are right there drinking the Kool-Aid. We are manifesting the real problem that God tries to show Cain. And the problem is this. We do not see the sin crouching in the quarters of our hearts because it's hiding behind our ordinariness, behind what we feel like is reasonable, rational behavior or feelings that we accumulate over time. And the problem is that those sins wrapped up in a little ball are not sleeping over there. They're like a lion or a leopard getting ready to pounce. You know it's a good point when you get that. It's just like, it's like, that's like the reward for getting a good point. It's ready to pounce, ready to master us. So here's the big idea, and this is not a fun one, okay? But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get back to building this up at the end. The big idea is that every human heart is equally capable of the worst sins imaginable. Now, that may offend you, and if it does, there's a pride problem. Because what you're saying is, I'm not capable. I am morally superior to everybody else. What will shock you when you look into some of these monsters is how ordinary they once were. What God is trying to show Cain is that inside of your heart, what's tumbling out here at the altar is self-pity, a grudge against your sibling, some jealousy and anger because you didn't get from me the acceptance that you want. And because you didn't get from me what you want, which is acceptance, which is your idol, you're now angry. You're mad at me, God, because I had the nerve to create another human being that I do accept in the way you want to be accepted, and you're not. So you're angry, just like we get angry when we see someone else having the life we think we deserve that they're getting and we're not. We're mad at them, and we're mad at God for making them and not giving us that. We get mad. We pity ourselves. He's dejected. He's sulking. He's moping. But in his heart, he thinks it's appropriate. Well, of course it's appropriate to feel this way. I've been constantly passed over. Abel's always been the righteous one, the goody two-shoes. I'm not an atheist. I talk to God out loud too. He brought an offering. I brought an offering. And of course, Abel gets accepted and I don't. And what God is saying is he comes down and he says, Cain, be careful. Because that little thing in the corner has now started to leak out in your behaviors. And you don't see how much power... He says, be careful, because in this state of mind you're in, you're going to be open to doing some things you might not be otherwise. 
that sin is getting ready to pounce. But he gives him hope. But you can master it. So what do we do with all this? I want to answer three questions in the few minutes we have left. Why did God accept Abel and his offering and not Cain and his offering? Why did Cain murder his brother? And is there any hope for any of us? Is there any hope for any of us? If we're all equally capable of the worst sins imaginable, and if you really want to grab onto the gospel, you have to grab onto this. You have to grab onto this. Or else you're not going to see the necessity of salvation. You're going to think, well, I'm just a generally good person. What do I need salvation for? I'm not like a murderer or anything. I've So many testimonies that start off that way. I didn't really think I was as bad as other people. And that came the handle of, I'm just as capable as they are. Why don't we think we're capable of those types of sins? We underestimate the power of sin when it controls us. We underestimate it. That's what Cain did. I underestimate the power of sin. And what he found is when sin started to master him, he had to keep sinning. He had to keep going. You don't just tell one lie. You got to keep telling other lies. To, once you tell a lie, you got to keep lying to protect the lie. A lot of other historical examples I don't have time for. So let me answer this first question. Why did God accept Abel and not Cain? I'll give you a short answer. It's because God does not separate our worship from the worshiper. He did not accept, he did not distinguish between the offering laid on the altar and the person who offered it. He lumped them together. Well, how do you know? doesn't tell us his, his here. Well, it kind of points to it, but let me show you. The Bible is a really good commentary on itself. In Hebrews, in the New Testament, chapter 11, verse 4, the Bible answers this question, why did God accept one and not the other? Let me read it to you, Hebrews eleven four. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. It was by faith. It was by faith. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. In other words, he was already right with God. And his offering was simply evidence of an existing relationship. Cain, on the other hand, the Bible tells us, and God told him, you're not right with me, so you're bringing an offering not because you're righteous, you're bringing an offering to try and extract righteousness from me. You're bringing an offering to try and make you righteous. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Jude verse 11, what sorrow awaits him for they follow in the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother. The New Testament never speaks highly of Cain. If he repented, that news never got to any of the New Testament writers because they always compare him unfavorably to Abel. And what the New Testament says is why God, at, at, at the very nucleus of it, God accepted Abel's offering because first God accepted Abel. And why did he accept Abel? He was a righteous man. He lived right before the Lord. When Cain is moping around afterwards and God comes down to counsel him, he says, if you live right, won't I accept you and your offerings? The problem is you're not living right. And you think an offering is going to tip me over to saying, oh, you know, Cain, you're really, really lousy, and you're, you've got all this garbage in your heart, and you're a bad brother, and you're, you're plotting, you're a plotter and a schemer, you're, you, you whine, you're self-pitying, you have this approval addiction in your life, and it's, causing, and it's messing up all your relationships. If you can't squeeze approval out of everybody else, then you're angry and bitter and jealous of everybody else who lives that way. And here you're coming to the altar, not because you love me, not because you live right, but because you think an offering will squeeze this out of me, that's not how it works. I don't accept you and your offering. 
Well, how do we even know more about how Cain felt about the Lord? Well, if you read a lot of theologians, you'll find some that say, here's the reason it was because of the kind of sacrifice that they brought. Maybe you've heard this before. Well, Abel brought a lamb, and it shed blood, and that's what God wanted. And Cain brought wheat, and it had no blood. He brought, you're assuming this is a sin offering, and he brought the wrong one. The Bible does not point to that at all. A couple things. First of all, the Hebrew word Mishnah is a dedication offering. That's what's used here. A dedication offering is when a, a person would bring something that, of, something that they produce, something of their work, something of their toil, and they would bring it as a token to, de, to express, I dedicate myself to you. I give all that I am to you. If you read through Moses' writing, God welcomed, God welcomed crops. He welcomed animals. The problem was not whether one brought something that had blood and one didn't. That was not part of this exchange at all. It was the character of the worshiper. It was the heart of the worshiper. Abel already had a relationship with God where he walked close with him. He talked to him. He knew him. He lived right before the Lord. He lived with a contrite heart, a repentant heart before him. He enjoyed that relationship. And when it came time to bring a sacrifice, Abel said the, the sacrifice was evidence of what was already in his heart. And so he brought the first and the best. And Cain brought some. Why did he bring some? He didn't relate to God like Abel did. This wasn't about bringing his first and best to God. I'll show you in a moment. This was Cain's attempt to bribe God, not to worship God. And when God pronounces his acceptance, he doesn't just say, I accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. He accepted Abel and his offering. He rejected Cain and his offering. Because to Abel, the offering was evidence of what was already in his heart. With Cain, the offering was a token to try and get something from God. Abel says, you've already given, so I return the first and the best. Cain says, you have something that I want, so here's an offering, now give it to me. That can creep into our hearts too. If you find yourself getting angry, self-piteous, carrying grudges, when you see other people getting from life what you think you deserve, it's a very strong indication you have leanings like Cain, that you're using Christianity as a way to manipulate God into giving you the life that you think that you deserve. And you're probably grumpy a lot, angry a lot, bitter a lot. Can you let God shine the light on your heart today? closest approximation we have to explain what's going on here in our culture is the exchange of rings between a couple at a wedding. Some of you, I have uh, served as the officiant at your wedding, and uh, I, not everything I say in every wedding is the same, but when we get to the exchange of the rings, I use the same language in, in all of the different weddings I officiate over. When the, the, the couple is exchanging rings, I have them repeat after me, um, I give this ring as a token of my love and affection for you, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor and cherish you. Now, imagine that a couple about to be married, imagine a month before that wedding is to take place, the, the man in the relationship is serially unfaithful to his bride-to-be. He's with a dozen different women. He is being reckless, relationally and sexually. 
and that the night before the wedding, the bride discovers this and yet chooses to show up at the altar that day. And when it comes to exchange the rings, the the husband-to-be takes the ring, the nice ring, the very expensive ring, that he prepared to put on the finger of his bride, and he says to her, this ring is a token of my love to you. With all that I have and all that I am, I love and I cherish you. And the bride has a moment for rebuttal. What do you think she's going to say? She thinks she's going to say, you know what? Oh, thanks. Oh, that makes everything all right. Uh, the fact that th- this ring is just that expensive, that it glosses over how lousy you are. No! The bride would say, you're a liar. This is not a token of your love. This is bribery. You're just giving me something expensive because you want everything that I have to give to you, but you're not willing to do the same for me. It's bribery. It's not love. And what we see in Cain in his offering, it's bribery. It's not love. And God says, I don't accept you in your worship. And his counsel to Cain in a minute is, if you lived right before me, if you're not unfaithful to me with everybody else, then whatever you bring me is going to be reflective of that, and I can accept you and your offering. He said, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Friend, I just want to let you know there's not enough good things that you can do to deodorize your sin. I try to live a good life. I try to be generous. I try to help others in need. I try and be a better person, and none of that covers up sin. It's like running around all week doing your own thing and then coming to God and just saying, here, if I write a big enough check, can you just tell me I'm okay? If I really cry a lot this week, if I lift my hands this way and this way and this way and this way, if I do all the different aerobics, can you just? No. Because God does not separate the worship from the worshiper. Um, much more to say out of time on that one. Let's, let's head on to the second point. It gets, uh, it doesn't get better. Um, why did Cain murder his brother. Here's why. Because if we don't master sin, we'll become its victim. He didn't master his sin. In fact, at the time that God first confronts him about his mopiness, his anger at his brother and his anger at God, Cain didn't see it as a problem. He saw it as appropriate and rational and ordinary and normal and justified. In fact, he gives God the silent treatment when God tries to coax out of him a confession, when God tries to hold up a mirror to Cain and say, don't you see what I see? There's something crouching in the corner of your heart and that's why you're moping around. You need friends that will tell you this stuff. You don't want friends like this, but you need friends like this who after you get done with your event session, they say, and is there any part of this that you take responsibility for yourself? Is there anything that you did to contribute to this? And the reason you probably don't have friends like this is that the one time a friend tried to do that to you, you killed them. (laughs) Maybe not physically, but you wrote them off 
You gave them the silent treatment. You accused them of being insensitive. You got all defensive, all the same things that Cain does here. In the ordinariness of the hearts of those of us who aren't capable of being monsters. God says, Cain, be careful. I know you're in a volatile space right now. Have you ever recognized when you start to feel your temper going as it's going? Some of you, it goes from zero to 60 in a second. Some of you have a slow burn. Would you at least agree to me that if you are aware enough to feel that slow burn, you sense there's something that's about to pounce right here. I'm really angry. Or how about this? I'm really lonely. I'm really anxious. I'm really disappointed. And God says, be careful. In these spaces and ordinary moments of predictable, justified behavior, Sin wants to control you, and you have to subdue it. Well, Cain didn't do that. He did not master the sin. The sin mastered him. James describes how this happens. Temptation comes from our own desires. They entice us. They drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, It gives birth to death. Cain didn't start out as a murderer. He started out as a jealous brother. You know what the Bible tells us? That every grudge is murder wrapped up in a little ball. No, no, no. Well, that's that's where grudges go if they take control of you. They eventually move in that direction. Every private fantasy and lust that you have in your heart is adultery wrapped up in a little ball. It's sexual sin tucked away in the corner of our heart. Every envious thought is theft wrapped up in a little ball. I don't believe you. Then you don't understand the scripture. That's where it starts. You are underestimating what it will turn into if you don't master it. Do you know what your crouching sins are? Do you have any idea in your heart what are the little subtle, hidden sinlets that you think are sleeping over in the little corner that you don't want to confess, that you want to expose, that you don't want to be released, that you might not even see, you think it's normal, justified behavior. I'm not cheap, I'm just thrifty. I'm not arrogant, I'm just confident and bold. I'm not judgmental. I'm just outspoken. I'm an outspoken advocate. I'm not mean. I'm just principled. I'm not tactless. I just tell it like it is. Cain. I'm not a murderer. I'm just an overlooked brother. Friends, God tried repeatedly to help Cain see what Cain couldn't see. And that there was a potential, powerful, controlling sin crouching in the corner of its heart. And we like to keep those sins around as pets. But that pet will grow up and put you on a leash. Some of you know what that's like. It was a 
desire that seemed reasonable, rational, appropriate. And it grew into a sinful force that controls you. If you don't master the sin, it will become a victim. So why did Cain murder his brother? The simple matter is, is because he did not master the sin in his heart. And it grew and grew and grew to the point where he gave in and he killed his brother. But was it pride? Yes. Was it jealousy? Yes. Was it begrudging? Yes. Was it idolatrous? Yes. All of those things but he did not realize they were sinful. They felt right and justified. Felt like a normal, appropriate reaction until it was too late. Too late to hit the reverse button. If we don't master sin, we will become its victim. He was doing wrong, he wasn't living. He wasn't an atheist. He talked to God out loud. He worshipped. He was an ordinary follower of God, like probably many of us today. And yet in his heart, sin was crouching at the door, and it started to leak out. And God said, do you see, Cain, why you're so mopey? Why you're so jealous? Why you're so easily offended? Why you think everybody's always talking about you? Do you see why you need my approval so bad? Do you see why rage is building in your heart? Do you see it? You must master this. What's hiding in the corners of your heart? The things that you try and explain away, that you try and laugh off that you keep as a little pet because you kind of know that it's, it, it might not be right, but compared to all the other monsters in the world, it doesn't look so bad. Or maybe you just think you're that mature. I'm, I'm just that mature that I can dabble in these things and not be swept away like other less moral people. Cain, wake up. Wake up. Um, so this doesn't feel very good, um, but let's, let's turn it around. Where is the hope? If we've concluded that we're all capable of the worst imaginable sins, because we all have sin crouching in our heart, and if we give in to it, we'll do these things, um, where is the hope for any of us? And the hope is found threaded throughout this whole story. Now, let me give it to you this way. Where is there hope? It's found in the grace of God. And in this story, God gives grace on grace on grace. And then he leaves the response to us. What do I mean grace on grace on grace? God doesn't receive Cain's offering or Cain. Cain is downcast and angry. And if God was a cosmic policeman, he'd just come down and deal with it very directly. And what God does is he doesn't come as a teacher or even a policeman. He comes as a counselor. Counselors are people who are trying to draw the answer out of us. And he asks Cain, Cain, why are you so angry and why are you moping around? Why, is your, why are your eyes low? Why are you dejected? God knows the answers. He's not looking for Cain to inform him of something he doesn't know. God is asking him questions to try and draw out a confession. I'm mad because I didn't get my own way. 
I'm mad because, again, I got passed over. I'm mad because I'm jealous of my brother. I'm, I'm moping around because I, I've, just, I, I've had enough of always playing second best to Abel. Because if we can confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Do you see that this is not God being mean to Cain, but God being gracious? How you and I respond to being confronted with our own sin and our own mistakes determines a lot about our character. Are you the type of person who can tolerate someone holding up a mirror and saying, why are you being like this? And it's easier if it comes in the form of a question than a statement. Man, you're really being pretty lousy today. Did you have something to eat? You're hangry? Never solves anything. This makes it worse, even if it's right. Why are you so upset? Why are you so angry? Stop asking me questions, okay? This is what God's trying to draw. This is grace. He could have just punished him right then and there for his bad little attitude. And instead, he comes down and says, why are you so angry? You need to see this because I see something you don't see. And the only way we're going to move forward is if you see what I see. God, help me to see my heart the way you do, not the way I want it to be. Neither, I don't want to see my heart better than you do or worse than you do. I want to see me as you see me. That's humility, agreeing with God's opinion of me. That's humility. But Cain was unwilling to do that. He rejects God's grace. God didn't force him. God could have just withheld him. He could have tied him up so he couldn't get out and go murder his brother. But God let him choose what to do with his grace. And when you resist God's grace, your heart gets a little harder. God has tried to deal with you subtly about sins crouching in the corners of your heart that haven't leaked out yet. And you've resisted and resisted and resisted. Be careful. Because your heart's getting harder and harder and harder to penetrate. So then what does Cain do? He goes out and murders his brother. God comes down again. And what does he do? He comes as the counselor. This is not what Cain rightfully deserves. He deserves death on the spot. Not only did he kill his brother, he killed his brother in the first degree, and he killed his brother in spite of God saying, be careful, you're about to do something you shouldn't do because you're volatile right now. He went and did it anyway. And then God comes down, and he says, what happened? Where is your brother? I didn't write it down. Am I my brother's keeper? He's not wearing his tracking device today. You just see this flawed, broken relationship he has with God. Not only has he done what he did, and he gives indications later that he indicates he thinks he should be put. Why is he afraid of what anybody else would do to him in retaliation if he didn't think what he did was wrong? But yet, that pride, he's like, I've committed to this now. <laughs> For me to unwind all of this is going to be more humiliation that I can bear. Have you ever been there? I have so committed myself to this way of life, this way of thinking, and now I've done some stuff. And as much as I want to back out from it, the shame and the humiliation and the unwinding of it is going to be, I might as well just stay the course. And you'll only move from that when the pain of staying the same is just slightly better than the pain of changing slightly worse. Yeah, I, I don't want, there's pain in both, both, both routes. There's no painless route now, but if I stay the same, it's going to even be worse. That pain's going to be worse than the pain of getting better. 
I can say that with confidence. I mean, you know my story. It was my choice. There's no painless road ahead. But the pain of staying the same was going to end in death. And the pain of getting better, and it was real pain, has led me to life. So he comes down again and gives grace. Where's your brother? He's trying to get confession. He's trying to bring healing to Cain. Abel is dead. Nothing we can do to bring him back. But here's Cain, and Cain's going to end up separated from God forever if he doesn't have a heart change. And God says, tell me what you did. Share that with me. Unburden yourself. I want to forgive you, but I can't unless you confess it. Unload that to me. I saw it. Just tell me. I already know the facts. You and I both know that I know. Tell me. And he still wouldn't do it. He still blows God off. His heart has gotten harder. Well, I would never get a hard heart like that. Be careful. You're on your way. So what does God do? He has a choice. Do I be merciful or do I be just? He refuses to choose. He gives both. Here's your sentence. Taking your job, I'm taking your livelihood, I'm taking your ability to provide, I'm making you an outcast, I'm cutting you off from your family. Where does family come from? The short story is that if you read Genesis chapter 5, Adam and Eve had more kids than just Cain and Abel. They had a lot of kids, the Bible says. Cain and Abel were probably 120-ish at the time of this story, which means that there's probably a lot of other human beings that came directly from Adam and Eve that had kids, and this is going to mess some of you up, and those kids got married and had more kids. Wait, what? Was it West Virginia? No. <laughs> but God gave them a command to be fruitful and multiply, where the only way that that could happen is if that genetic strain at that point was pure enough to be able to tolerate that. They all came from that family tree, and who would, who would be the only people who, would, who Cain would fear getting revenge on him for killing a family member? The rest of the family. So it's, I think the simplest explanation is that there were more people on the face of the earth at that point than Adam and Eve and Cain. The Bible tells us there's lots of other kids. Those kids got married. Those kids had kids. And Cain was afraid of some of those people. When they found out that he killed Abel, we're going to get vengeance. Well, if he doesn't think what he did was wrong, here's a guy who knows what he did was wrong and he won't admit it. Well, that's just not like me. Probably is like a lot of us. Three hardest words to say, I was wrong. Two hardest words to say, I'm sorry. That's two and a half words. God gives him grace a second time. Gives him a punishment. And then here's Cain's opportunity. Maybe now that he's gotten a punishment, he's been sent to timeout. He's been in there for 20 minutes. Now maybe he has a repentant heart. This punishment is unfair. Not I'm sorry, not you're right, not I deserve it. This punishment is unfair. Even the punishment isn't making me repentant. I'm just doubling down. I'm going to still, you see, he said, woe is me. All I did was murder someone and look how mean God was. You've made this too much to bear. Now I'm afraid of ever the people killing me. And what does God do? Grace on grace on grace. Here is an unrepentant sinner and God says, I still won't kill you. I'm going to have to punish you, but I'll still guard you. Why? So that maybe one day you will come to your senses before it's too late. If you're still breathing, friend, you're not too far gone. You've not sunk too far. You're alive today because God has postponed what we all deserve for you so that you have an opportunity to find grace. Let me share the best quote that I read on this in all my books is from, uh, from Kent Hughes. Let me read to you what he says, and we'll close. 
Cain was cursed and separated from God, and yet guarded by God. Cain's life still belonged to God. He bore God's image, however disfigured that image was. This was the utmost mercy that God could do and still does for the unrepentant. So what hope is there for us? I see it in two places in this story. One, that God gives grace on grace on grace. Even when we're unrepentant and we don't want God's grace because we don't think we need it. God just says, fine, you don't have to take it, but I'll guard you a little while longer because you might change your mind down the road. The offer still stands. There's grace for you. I've never seen this story in the context of Cain being unrepentant and God still being gracious to him. Man, how, how much he has demonstrated that in my life about you. He was trying to be gracious to me. I didn't even see it as grace at the time. And yet he didn't just zap me from the face of the earth. He gave me grace. I still had to eat of the justice that was required for some of my sins. But when I finally came back to the table and said, God, is that offer still good? He said, yes. Yes. So we see that there is grace, grace, grace. You're not too far gone. You're not too steeped in it. It's not run so rough shot over you that there's no hope. There's grace on grace on grace. The other hope I see is in the statement that he gave to Cain at the beginning of the story. Sin is crouching in the quarter of your heart and it desires to have you, but you must subdue it. You can subdue it. You can master it. Here's what God's saying. Yes, there's sin in your heart, but you can master it. Well, how do I master it? He has to master you. Well, I don't really want to be, I don't really want to have a master. You already do. We all do. What the Bible says is no man can serve two. You either serve the master of yourself, which means you live life your own way, thank you very much, on your own terms. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in this, that, or the other. It's Christianity on your terms. It's your mind making up a God the way you want him to be. That's an idol, not, not the God I know. That's an idol of your own thoughts. And that idol will never change you because that idol agrees with you on everything. You don't need that. You need God to be exactly who he is. But what he also says is, you don't have to be a monster either. Yes, on the one hand, I am morally capable of all the worst sins, but I'm not hopeless. I don't need to be locked up. I just need to invite the master to master me and equip me through his spirit to subdue the sin in the corners of my heart so that it doesn't grow into a place that is controlling. Here's my concluding statement. Worship team, why don't you come? The gospel says I'm more wicked and flawed than I dared to believe, and I don't like that part. But I'm also more loved and accepted than I ever dared to imagine. You have to hold, you have to hold both of these. Some of us find it very easy to believe, and I'm this person. I can very, of course I'm wicked and flawed. And some of us, tend, we, we, we hate ourselves. We tend to de- depressive thoughts. We beat ourselves up all the time. We can never satisfy ourselves. We have unrealistic expectations for ourselves. And we feed ourselves this desires. I'm br- wicked. I'm flawed. I'm broken. I'm a failure. We eat this all the time. And we refuse the part of the gospel that says, but you're loved and accepted by the only two pairs, by the only one pair of eyes. The only two pairs of eyes. God doesn't have four. He has two. The only pair, the only pair of eyes that it matters. I'm loved and accepted by him, as I am. Not after I clean myself up. As I am, it's the only way you can come to God is that way. 
Then there's other of us that were like, of course God loves. He loves everybody. He loves everybody all the time. I'm accepted. Anything goes. I'm not wicked and flawed. I'm just loved and accepted. You have to hold both of those things in a healthy balance together. And that's what the gospel tells us. Cain was absolutely wicked and flawed, but no more or no less than you and me. He never realized how loved and accepted he was. He was crying out for God's acceptance, and because he didn't have a healthy understanding of what that looked like, his flaws ran away with him. And actually, the flaws, the sins convinced him that if you just give yourself to this, you'll finally be accepted. You'll finally get what's right. At the very least, you can eliminate the people who are getting what you want. You have to hold those things together in tension. So friend, there is hope for you and for me. But we can't bypass the step of having God help us be more aware of the sins crouching in our hearts that are desiring to have us. He is here today. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to give grace. He's ready to give new starts. He's ready to fill you with hope. He's putting that grace out there. How will you respond to him today? Will you bow your heads with me? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. This is a great opportunity for you in this moment. And I know sometimes if you're feeling really uncomfortable, you cannot wait to get out of here and go find a restaurant. I know I've been there in services before. It's like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. If I can just wait God out the next three minutes, I'll be out of here. (laughs) And you can do that. But man, then your heart will be a little more hard. I don't want that. This is about you and God right now. Will you let down the guard of your heart and will you just allow God to show you if there's sin crouching in your heart that's desiring to have you. It's hidden in the subtle ordinariness of who you are, but you need to call it by its right name and appreciate it and then confess it. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive you, but he will also cleanse you. And through the Holy Spirit living in you, you will be able to master that sin and subdue it so that it does not control you. Because if it controls you, here's what I promise you, it will interfere in your relationship with God, it'll interfere in your relationship with yourself, and it will keep you at arm's length from other people. Maybe you've never had an experience like this with God, and you're saying, I need, I need, Pastor, you talked about salvation, that's what I need. I'm not a Christian, I don't think that I'm a Christian, I... But in this moment right now, I, I, I recognize, man, it's so heavy on my heart. I am so aware right now of my need for forgiveness. Awesome. That's the Holy Spirit bringing you to Jesus today. All you need is to understand that salvation is a free gift of God by his grace and through your faith in Jesus. All you need to do is repent and believe. Believe and repent. Believe you need to be saved. Believe that Jesus can save you and believe that Jesus will save you if you simply ask him to. And then the action behind that is repentance. That means a turning away from. We're turning away from living life as my own master, and I'm putting myself under the lordship and leadership of the true master of Jesus. If that's the desire of your heart today, the Bible says that all you have to do is confess that to Jesus. You believe it first. 
A confession is just putting into words what you really believe. A confession without belief is just insincere. It's empty religion. It's just you reading an abracadabra and hoping something magically happens. That doesn't transform us. Your belief, your faith in Jesus, that's what does the transforming. So you can just confess what you want Jesus to do for you right now in your own words. If you need an example, it's simply, uh, you could pray a prayer sort of like this. Jesus, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I have lived wrong before you. I am not right with you. And it's because of my own sins. I do recognize that my sin against you deserves to be punished. But I understand that you have punished my sins already. Except you put them on Jesus instead of on me. I don't deserve that, but you must love me way beyond what I understand to do that for me. And I want to be in relationship with you. So today I admit that I need to be saved and I embrace forgiveness from you, Jesus. Make me new inside. Create a new life in me. Help me to understand what it's like to be totally born again and made new. God, I invite your spirit to come live inside of me. I surrender to you. You're my master. You're the Lord and I'm not. I look forward to this journey that I'm beginning today of Christ-likeness. Thank you for saving me. Amen. If you prayed with me this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to count to three. If you prayed that prayer, just slip up a hand and make eye contact with me. You can put it right back down. I'm not going to ask you for more than that. I just want to celebrate with you today. I just want to acknowledge that awesome buddy. One, two, three. Saw you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Who else? Anybody else this morning? Heavenly Father, as we leave this place today and we head in our different directions and our different assignments, may we walk humbly before you. These are not easy texts to study through, but we're thankful that you've preserved these stories and these truths for us so that we don't have to repeat the same mistakes of those who have come before us and help what we're learning today to lead to more freedom, righteousness, and peace in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.